Welcome to the Compliance 911 Show, a no-nonsense podcast discussing hot topics for today's busy compliance professional. It's everything you wanted to know about regulatory compliance, but we're afraid to ask. And now, here are your hosts, Dean Stockford of M&M Consulting and Len Suzio of Geodata Vision. Well, the truth is, Dean, it's not my idea. It's what the agencies themselves reveal in the middle of their proposal. Between pages 250 and 255 are a series of tables that depict the regulator's estimates of how the retail lending tests would have been affected uh, bank performance ratings during different time periods. Each table is shocking, but the most shocking, I believe, is table 12, which shows the distribution of reporter bank retail lending conclusions or ratings uh, in retail retail lending assessment areas and outside retail assessment areas. The numbers are stunning, but more than one third of the distribution of CRA retail lending test conclusions over the period 2017 to 2019 would have been rated needs to improve or substantial noncompliance. That's so shocking, I'm going to repeat it. One-third of the CRA retail lending test conclusions over the years 20 to 17 to 2019 would have been rated needs to improve or substantial noncompliance. That's the regulator's own estimates, and it's right there in the middle of the NPR. So when the new proposed retail lending test is applied at an institution level, including traditional facility-based assessment areas, as well as retail lending assessment areas, that's a new assessment area form they're proposing, as well as outside retail lending areas, the agencies estimate that 10 to 12% of the examinations conducted between 2005 and 2007, 2009 and 2011, and 2017 to 2019, banks would have received a needs to improve or substantial noncompliance uh, conclusion. That's for the entire, what they call the composite performance rating. That compares to a failure rate of less than 2% in all the exams conducted since 1995 when CRA last went through a major rewrite. That, in effect, is a 500% increase from 1% to 2% to 10 to 12%. In fact, that's more like a tenfold increase when I think about it. The agencies themselves have developed the data showing uh, this dramatic increase in exam failures. It's not me. It's the agencies themselves. It's right there in the middle of the NPR. So banks are in for a shock if the NPR passes as proposed just for this reason alone, although there are other issues in the NPR for bankers to be worried about too.
<laughs> yes. You got that right, Dean. This is a very radical proposal with respect to assessment area delineation and measuring bank performance. The agencies now want to measure everywhere a large bank lends. So they developed the concept of retail lending assessment areas, which are defined as MSAs or statewide non-MSAs, where a bank has originated either 100 home mortgages or 250 small business loans. They also identify outside retail lending areas, which pretty much covers anywhere a bank is lending, not included in the first two assessment area types, the traditional uh, facility-based assessment area and this new concept of retail lending assessment area. So the retail lending test will be applied to all major product lines in all three kinds of communities, and that's where the trouble starts. Wait a minute. If a bank is going to be evaluated almost everywhere, will the test or their standards be different? No, that's what's even more shocking. Uh, the retail lending test will be the same and the performance standards, which the NPR touts as, quote, tailored, will be developed with reference to the same local comparisons in the retail lending assessment areas and the outside retail lending areas as the benchmarks within a bank's facility-based assessment areas, but with no adjustments for the fact that a bank is competing in areas where it doesn't have branches and is at a serious competitive disadvantage. So it's kind of a double whammy for large banks. Banks will be evaluated for fair lending, for uh, lending activity far removed from their branch markets and the standards applied to their performance won't be adjusted to reflect the competitive disadvantages they will have in comparison to local lenders in those markets. That could be thousands of miles removed from a bank's normal local uh, branch-based community. Wow. No wonder why the CRA exam failure rate is forecasted to blow up. I mean, this is just absolutely crazy. The, now, the retail lending test is only one of four tests. I understand banks will be subject to. Can a bank make up for subpar, say, lending in all these different markets by strong performance on the other tests that we talk about? Well, that's a good question, Dean. And the answer, unfortunately, is no. The NPR is written so that the performance on the retail lending test is only 45% of the composite performance rating of a bank. Uh, however, the proposal also requires that a bank attain at least a satisfactory conclusion on the retail lending test or it cannot earn a composite performance rating of at least satisfactory. That is what the present policy is regarding the three tests in the 24-point system now in place. A bank must pass the lending test under the current practice, and it will be required to do so under the retail lending test as proposed in the NPR. For many years, community activists and politicians have been complaining about grade inflation, citing the low CRA exam failure rate, which is varied between one and two percent. Do you think the agencies are responding to this criticism now? Well, Dean, I can only guess at this, but the FDIC acting chair 
uh, Grinberg in public comments a few weeks ago said that the NPR will, quote, raise the bar, end quote, for CRA examinations. What does that mean? It means that they're going to elevate the standards and the expectations. So it seems to me, reading between the lines, that making CRA exams more difficult is deliberate and a part of the intentions uh, of the regulators as they put this NPR together. Wow. My head is stuck on the spin cycle in the washer machine. I mean, the proposal contains new and what I would consider radical definitions of the assessment area concept and retail lending test that measure banks' performance, not only inside the traditional assessment areas, but in markets that may be far removed from the bank's branch network with no adjustments that would recognize the radical difference between lending in your own communities and lending far away. Wow, no wonder the regulators estimate a five-fold increase in bank CRA exam failure rates. So what other goodies are in the proposed rulemaking or I'm not sure if I should put it that way as goodies. <laughs> Little surprises you might say. Yeah, exactly. Well, Dean, aside from the radical changes to the concept of assessment areas and the impact on bank performance, the retail lending itself, the test itself will have, uh, while similar to today's lending test, it's far more complicated, requiring that one, but numerous computations to arrive finally at a performance rating. Moreover, while the benchmarks are very similar to the main benchmarks used today, what is really different is that the comparisons are all, quote, calibrated to correlate with every possible conclusion or performance rating. In some respects, this is a positive aspect of the proposal. We've all known for the last 27 years that the regulators use benchmarks bank lending, quote, penetration rates to, le to lending to low and moderate income borrowers, for example. One of the benchmarks compared a bank's lending to low income mortgage borrowers with other lenders' rates, penetration rates to low income borrowers in the market. But the regulators steadfastly refused to announce how those comparisons have been used to determine, quote, a satisfactory performance rating. The proposed rulemaking not only explicitly identifies what comparisons are required to attain a satisfactory performance, they are, quote, calibrated to correspond to all five potential conclusions. That is outstanding, high satisfactory, low satisfactory, needs to improve, and substantial noncompliance. There may be problems in the calibrations themselves, however. For example, in the proposed ca calibrations, if the market penetration rate lending to a moderate income, income borrowers is 30% and a bank has a penetration rate of 31%, the performance conclusion for that bank would be, are you ready? Low satisfactory. You heard that correct. A bank could have a higher penetration rate than the market benchmark and get a quote, low satisfactory conclusion. And the regulators know this because they explicitly acknowledge it in the NPR. This may be a factor in the forecasted explosion of the Sierra exam failures. So bankers may want to examine what the proposal calls the multipliers that are applied to the benchmarks to determine the performance ranges for test conclusions. Dean, the devil really is in the details in this case. Yeah, and I know there's a lot more to cover and so little time to cover it. 
what else jumps out at uh, at the bankers that uh, they better pay attention to in this proposal, Len? Well, there's always the topic of community development, which perennially is the most confusing, least understood, and most vaguely defined aspect of the Community Reinvestment Act. The reporting requirements are very minimal, and there is no data on geographic level available currently, unlike the reported small business and small farm lending activity, which is distributed nationally every year. The proposal will require a good more detail to report regarding community development lending and investing. It will require geocoding, believe it or not, and that's never been done for community development activity uh, in the 45 years of the CRA. And it will require reporting the community development purpose fulfilled by the activity, as well as, get this, 10 impact indicators. The community development financing test will count the number and the value of community development loans and investments made during the year, as well as the outstanding balances of community development loans and investments made in prior years that remain outstanding during the current year. With so little information currently available regarding community development lending investing, the additional reporting should be welcome as the opportunity to gain real insight into the size and scope of actual community development lending and investing in all markets. One thing I don't like is the confusing language of the community development service consideration for bank volunteers who volunteer using their own area of expertise and has been the practice for the last 10 years or so. Uh, the proposal reverts back to the original interpretation, which limits bank volunteer time for community development credit to financial matters only when, except when in non-metro areas. But the way it reads in section 25 of the proposal is bizarre because it requires that the services be financial in nature only, uh, except when in non-metro area. But then it includes service on a board of a nonprofit as an example as well as providing service in the area of the expertise of a of the banker, such as human resources, legal services, et cetera. So on the other hand, in the non-metro areas, helping construct affordable housing, like volunteering to nail uh, nails and uh, hammer nails into a, a house for Habitat for Humanity does count, or volunteering at a, super, uh, a soup kitchen will count as well. So the wording itself is typical for bureaucratic regulations it's confusing and you really have to read it very carefully. That's one thing I don't like it. Good thing about the proposed treatment of community development lending and investing is that activity outside the facility basis as barriers will count for credit towards community development performance. Uh, so it won't be restricted to just counting towards outstanding performance only. I also understand that the proposal incorporates uh, here's something that we've all been uh, come to know very, very well, and that's Dodd-Frank Section 1071. Can you explain that to our listeners a little bit? Yes, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, 1071 will have an impact on CRA in two ways. First, the proposal intends to incorporate the 1071 definition of small business and small business loans as businesses and farms with $5 million or less gross annual revenue. Second, the reporting of the small business lending activity under Dodd-Frank 1071 will be used for CRA purposes. Effectively, small banks may become reporters under 1071 and their small business lending activity will be used for CRA purposes. Both impacts are significant, of course, just defining what small business and small farm is big, but then using 
Use of the 1071 data is huge and could result in small bank, uh, small business lending activity effectively being reported for the first time, which means a potentially much bigger pool of small business loans will be captured for public viewing. Yeah, and you can certainly uh, sniff out from this NPR their concerns relative to fair lending, uh, ultimately based on what I'm hearing and seeing, mm -hmm. especially when we talk about the data under 1071. Uh, in these 15 minutes or so, I'm already overwhelmed by the potential impact of this NPR uh, on banks. Uh, we will be doing a full two-hour webinar on June 29th. Uh, to go into uh, real detail, take a deep dive into this uh, uh, CRA notice of proposed rulemaking. And it's imperative that people tune in um, and then voice their concerns by the deadline of August 5th to the regulators. It's obvious to me there's a lot to think about. Bankers had better be aware uh, and had better prepare comments about the critical aspects of this NPR because uh, once again, uh, this isn't final yet, but uh, uh, without appropriate comment, it, it, it could and, and, and most likely will uh, become a, a final uh, document. Um, I encourage our listeners, uh, of course, to attend that June 29th uh, CRA NPR webinar that is jointly sponsored by M&M Consulting and Geoday Division, or uh, if you're listening to this podcast after that June 29th uh, deadline uh, for our webinar, uh, contact us for uh, a copy of the recording of the webinar because um, um, I think it would be extremely valuable to our listeners. Uh, listeners may also join the webinar, which again, I encourage highly, or order recordings of the webinar via the links that are in the show notes uh, for our podcast or by visiting our website at www dot m and a and d m dot consulting um, all of the information is clear on our website uh, and uh, we look forward and hope that you register for this webinar that will be extremely informative um, and, and helpful in banks designing their comments uh, for uh, submission uh, to the regulators on this notice of proposed rulemaking so uh, again, great information today, Len. This has just been uh, fabulous. I'm glad that we designated uh, more time to this specific podcast because of the significance and the importance on institutions. Uh, so thank you very much. This is Dean Stockford from M&M Consulting. And this is Len Suzio of GeoData Vision saying, thank you for listening in to today's podcast regarding the 2022 CRA NPR. Thanks for listening to the Compliance 911 Show. If you like the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. While you're at it, please give us a like and review to help others find the show. As always, links are in the show notes and you can always find us online at compliance911show.com. Follow M&M Consulting and Geodata Vision on LinkedIn for all the latest news and information on compliance hot topics.